Book 2, The Ramadan of the Elders Most of this book is reproduced from Hadrat Sheikh's book Akabir Ka Ramadan and is narrated in Hadrat Sheikh al-Hadith's own words. Book 2, page 159 The Devotions of Sheikh Muhammad Yahya Kandilvi Mulana Muhammad Yahya Kandilvi lived from 1871 to 1917 and was Sheikh Zakaria's father. He was appointed by Sheikh Sheikh Khalil Ahmed Sahara to teach the books of Hadith after he, Sheikh Khalil Ahmed, left to settle down in Hijaz. Throughout his life, he taught Hadith without pay and recited one Qur'an daily for six months after he memorized Qur'an at the age of seven, approximately 464 Qur'an. He possessed the rare ability of being able to recite Qur'an while doing any work without stumbling in his recitation. Recitation of Qur'an was my father's life. He could not do without it. Maybe I have written somewhere that he was a bookseller and a package books and noted the addresses himself. As he worked, he recited the Qur'an loudly without confusing any ayah or making any mistake. Sheikh Ashiq Ilahi writes in Tadhkirat al-Khalil, once at my request he came to Mirat to recite the Qur'an in Taraweeh. I saw that whatever he was doing throughout the day he was reciting the Qur'an simultaneously and in this manner completed one Qur'an daily. When the time of iftar came, you heard him reciting the last surah, Surah An-Nas. When he stepped off the train, it was Isha time. It was his habit to be in a state of ablution all the time. When he entered the masjid, he walked straight to the place where the imam led recited ten juz in three hours smoothly and without any mistakes, without stumbling or any confusion between two assimilated ayahs, as if he was reciting from the Qur'an clearly and calmly. He finished on the third day and returned to Saharanpur. There was no need for a listener or to recite with anyone else. Another thing my father mentioned about this journey was that some of the people of Mirad told him that when people learned a hafid is arriving from Saharanpur to finish the Qur'an in three days, 30 to 40 Hufad stood behind him in Taraweeh to test him. My father never caught a fever like myself in the month of Ramadan. He went whenever his friends insisted, completed the Qur'an in two or three days in Taraweeh and returned to Saharanpur. Once he went on the request of Shah Zahid Hussain, the mayor of Bahit, led Taraweeh in his house and completed the Qur'an in two days. I also remember him going to the Nawab Wali Masjid in Qisabpura, Delhi for Taraweeh. Once Malwi Nasiruddin was leading Taraweeh in Hakim Ishaq's masjid when my father walked in and he had just returned from a long journey. Malwi Nasiruddin was on the 14th juz and the listener was correcting him repeatedly. In the state of ablution he walked into the masjid, asked Malwi Nasiruddin to move from the imam's place and completed 16 juz in 16 rakahs. The musallis in the back were certainly exhausted and irritated but their joy over the completion of Quran did away with everything. They all forgot they were exhausted when they realized the Qur'an was completed on the 12th of Ramadan. I also remember when some relatives insisted that my father come to Kandla and lead them in Taraweeh. He came down to Kandla and completed one Qur'an in Ummi B's house, my father's maternal grandmother and Sheikh Muzaffar Hussain's daughter. Her name was Amatul Rahman, but she was better known by her nickname, Ummi B. These were the last few years of my father's life. My father told me how in his youth he spent the whole night in voluntary salah. And since more than four people could not stand behind in salah in Kandla, the women folk alternated in the voluntary salah while my father continued to recite the Qur'an. 
My uncle also spent Ramadan in Kandla for Ummi B and spent the whole night in Taraweeh. After praying his obligatory salah in the masjid, he left for the house and completed 15 or 16 juz by Sahar. The story of Sheikh Rauf al-Hassan, my father's maternal uncle and my late wife's father, is narrated in detail in Abiti in part 6 under the chapter of Taqwa. I narrate one portion of this chapter below. On the 20th of Ramadan, he recited from Surah Al-Baqarah to Surah An-Nas in one rakah. After completing the second rakah with Surah An-Nas at Sahar, he turned around and said to his mother, Ummi B, I have recited two rakahs and you can complete the rest, i.e. the other 18 rakahs. His mother, Ummi B, stood the whole time he recited the Qur'an in one rakah. One story leads to another and it seems as though I am on a tangent. But as these stories relate to the subject of the devotions of our elders in the month of Ramadan, they are not completely irrelevant either. My father didn't have any set routine for Ramadan. I narrated several incidents and stories in different places in Abiti. During his stay in Gango until 1910, I don't ever remember my father ever travelling during the month of Ramadan. I may have also mentioned somewhere previously that in the last Ramadan of Sheikh Rashid Ahmed Gangohi in 1903, Sheikh Gangohi asked my father to leave Taraweeh. My father said that from the age of seven I had never needed to open a Qur'an until the 29th of Sha'ban in 1903 of that year due to fear of my Sheikh, Sheikh Rashid Ahmed Gangohi. Once my fear had passed after the first day of Taraweeh, I was fine. I have written repeatedly that my father was always busy reciting Qur'an. He was busy in his workshop taking books out, packaging them and writing addresses etc all the while reciting the Qur'an loudly. During his stay in Saharanpur, he spent every Ramadan there except for one Ramadan. I don't remember he, where he was at that time. In 1914, when the Masjid of Darul Talaba was ready, my father led the first Taraweeh on the request of my Sheikh, Sheikh Khalil Ahmed Saharanpuri. My father's devotions in Saharanpur were as follows. Aside from the time he was teaching at the school, my father spent most of his time, including Iftar, in the Mochiwali Masjid adjacent to Hakim Yaqub's house. He opened his iftar with whatever was present, though he preferred dates and zamzam. Dates and zamzam were a necessary part of my sheikh, Sheikh Saharanpur's iftar. If the hajis brought dates and zamzam for my sheikh, they were immediately preserved in boxes and bottles. Zamzam and dates were not as common as they are today due to the ease of transportation. My father prayed short voluntary salah after maghrib and ate very little. He ate alone or occasionally with one or two friends, as eating with people usually takes up more time, which he disliked. He then lay down and quietly recited the same part he recited in Taraweeh, aside from the Qur'an he recited throughout the day. This is the only time I saw him reciting the Taraweeh part. After Taraweeh, which is not in any particular place, as previously mentioned, he returned home and rested for a short while. My father always suffered from insomnia. He recited Qur'an until he fell asleep. He ate at Sahar, which did not consist of anything in particular, for instance milk and tea, and in the very last minutes and ate whatever was cooked. Since Kandala tradition was buttered chapati with meatballs at Sahar, this was what he ate most often. I don't remember whether it was already mentioned in Abbiti or not that one of the customs of our elders, my paternal family in Kandala, was that one big pot of pilaw was cooked after Asar, which was made ready shortly before Maghrib. Once it was prepared, people brought small pots and filled up however much they needed. The pot was then placed on the courtyard of the family house, where the elders gathered out in the open field for iftar. If anyone was passing by on the road, they called him to join in. 
There was no such thing as an iftar. They ate pilau to their full and prayed maghrib in the nearby masjid, then prayed voluntary salah from maghrib till isha. It has been mentioned in Abiti that in the time of our elders, no one in both rows of our masjid was a non-hafid except the caller of Adhan, who was a native of some far-off place and had no family or friends. He was found begging in Kandla. The elders advised him that it would be better for you to stay in the masjid, call the Adhan and take care of the masjid. You will be given food twice a day and clothes to wear. He was accommodated in the masjid and stayed the caller until he died at the age of 80. The elders sometimes said to him, O oh Mullah, if it weren't for you, everyone here would be a hafid. The elders continued with their voluntary salah and awrad until shortly before Isha. They then left for their homes, which were in the neighborhood of the masjid, attended to their personal needs, performed ablution and returned once again to the masjid. Everyone prayed Isha in the masjid and then the youth went home and led voluntary salah until sahar. The women folk alternated, since more than three musallis behind the imam were not possible at one time. The Hufad also alternated. They made rounds in the different homes. One would go to such and such relative, lead them in four rakahs, then take off to another relative's home. This routine continued until Sahar. Then at Sahar, everyone arrived back at their homes and ate with their families. As mentioned previously, butter chapatis and meatballs were a custom, and the third important dish was Malida, bread broken into small pieces and prepared with sugar and oil. The common belief was that Malida digests slowly and therefore prevented one from getting hungry while fasting. After Adhan, Fajr was prayed at its beginning time and then everyone went to sleep. Then some awoke early while others later. Whenever they woke, they recited from the Qur'an until shortly before Iftar. Some recited the whole Qur'an while others repeated the same part for Taraweeh. I have written in many places in fadail ramadan that all of the women of our family, my own daughters, may Allah Ta'ala increase them in strength and making effort for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, recited at least 15 or 16 juz throughout the day and spent the whole night behind various huffad despite being occupied the whole day in the kitchen and taking care of the children. They each have more than two children. They competed over who completed more. I have also written somewhere that my paternal grandmother was also a hafidah. Her routine was to complete the Qur'an in seven days according to the manzil. But in Ramadan, she completed 40 juz every day, i.e. one Qur'an plus 10 extra juz. And this was her routine throughout her life. In addition to this, she recited various tasbihat the hundreds of times, each of which amounted to approximately 17,000 altogether. The details of her routine of tasbih can be found in Tathkirat al-Khalil. And my father's maternal grandmother's incident is mentioned previously relating to her listening to the whole Qur'an from her son, Shaykh Rauf al-Hassan, in one rakah. I am grateful to Allah Ta'ala that this tradition of reciting many parts of Qur'an continues to this day in the women of our home. They get little sleep in the night and day because they spend the night reciting and listening to the Qur'an when the children are sleeping and when they want to sleep during the day, one child is crying from one side while another is pulling from another. Sometimes I feel so much pity for them. May Allah Ta'ala accept them all. Ameen. In Mashaykh Kandla, it is mentioned that it was Sheikh Muzaffar Hussain's routine to spend the whole night in worship and that he did not sleep for a second or take short rest on the bed. He cried the whole night for fear of the hereafter. All this was mentioned tangentially. My father preferred to pray Salah in its beginning time. But since Fajr was prayed near sunrise everywhere in Saharanpur, he prayed at that time also. 
In the time of my Sheikh Hazrat Saharanpuri, Fajr was prayed when the sun was about to rise throughout the year and in Ramadan 10 to 15 minutes before that. It was my father's routine to rest after Fajr. After two or three hours sleep, he went to teach in the school. He also tutored lessons to certain students who stayed in the school in Ramadan and were close to my father and continued this until iftar. He never recited the Qur'an to or with anyone throughout the day. If he had any free time during the day, he recited the Qur'an loudly. It has also been mentioned previously that while in Gango, he, he called out the Adhan himself. His habit was to say it loudly and to prolong it as much as possible. He often said the reason I always called out the Adhan was so people could have time to eat their iftar and arrive in time for Salah and so the Adhan reaches as far as possible. In my Adhan, a person can easily eat iftar, walk from home and get the opening takbir behind Qutb Alam, the pole of the universe, Sheikh Rashid Ahmed Gangohi. Sheikh Rashid Ahmed Gangohi periodically synced his watch with the sun as it reached its zenith. My father would say, I would get on the roof of the Khanqa shortly before Maghrib, break off some grass, chew them for iftar and then call out a long adhan, slow and easy. The incidents about my father's Ramadan in Mirat, Nawab, Wali, Masjid, Dehli and Bahit have already been mentioned. In Mashaykh Kandla, it says it was the routine of Sheikh Yahya to lead his mother and maternal grandmother in Salah every Ramadan in Kandla despite and complete the Quran in three days, then return to Saharanpur. The year he passed away in Dhul Qa'da, he completed the Quran in one night and returned the next day. I have written about my father in various places in Abiti, though I cannot remember anything at this time. I also mentioned in the beginning of this booklet of Sheikh Gangohi Rahmatullah's practice of reciting Quran loudly, both inside and outside of Salah. Sometimes I was deep asleep and was awoken by the sound of his crying. Amongst my elders, I found two who cried copiously. One was Sheikh Islam, Hussein Ahmed Madani, and the second was my father. I have written in Abiti that I accompanied Sheikh Islam Madani on his trips around the Saharanpur area. His trips were like storms. He would arrive, for example, at 4 p.m., pick me up in his car, and rush off to Rairi or Dehlapara for a convention and drop me off that night or early the next morning in Saharanpur. Once I went with him to Abha. Hadith Sheikh Islam told the people to put my bed next to his in his room. At that time, many of Hadra's helpers were with him, and it was extremely cold outside and the helpers had their beds in another room. The elders of Abha had old connections with the Shaykhain, Sheikh Qasim Nanotri and Sheikh Rashid Ahmed Gangohi, the elders and founders of Dioband, and after them were the four great Sheikhs, Sheikh Khalil Ahmed Saharanpuri, Sheikh Al-Hind Mahmood Al-Hassan, Shah Abdul Rahim Raipuri and Sheikh Ashraf Ali Tanwi, have mercy on them all. Because of their connections, they were unreserved with Hadrat Sheikh al-Islam. And one of them asked him, Why is it that his bed is put here while all the helpers are in another room? Before Hadrat could say anything, I spoke up. I will tell you why. The fact is that your being with Hadrat will disturb him while I am like a goat tied by his door. And this was true because whenever I went to Hadrat Raipuri, Sheikh Islam, my uncle, Sheikh Ilyas, and Hadrat Ashik Ilahi Mirati, they would tell the people in charge to prepare my bed next to theirs. I always slept close by my father anyhow. I never saw anyone cry and sob the way they, Sheikh Yahya and Sheikh Islam did, like a child when he gets a beating. Hadrat Sheikh Islam even recited Hindi couplets when he cried. I have also heard that once the doors of Hadrat Sheikh Gangohi Rahmatullah's room were shut after Dhuhr, the sound of his crying and sobbing 
could be heard from the courtyard. The devotions of Sheikh Muhammad Ilyas I have narrated many stories of my uncle Sheikh Muhammad Ilyas in different chapters of Abbiti, but presently the subject is Ramadan. My uncle's routine in Ramadan, as preserved in the narrations of Kandla, was that he ate whatever was available at the time of iftar. Tea, though, was necessary. He ate little and his food was not like your father's. I suddenly remembered this wording of the hadith of the Sunnah of Abu Dawood. It is narrated in the Sunnah that the Blessed Prophet ﷺ said that if the food is brought at the time when the congregation is about to stand for Isha, then one should eat first. The commentary of this hadith and other such matters are for the commentaries. I just mentioned it because it suddenly came to mind. Once someone asked Ibn Umar We have heard that the Blessed Prophet said if food is brought when the congregation for Isha is about to stand, then one should eat first. I couldn't believe that the Blessed Prophet would say such a thing because if the person went to eat, he is going to miss his salah. Sayyidina Ibn Umar responded, Woe to you! Do you think their dinner was like your father's? In other words, they didn't have a variety of dishes and long mats like your father. All they had was two or three dates and one or two bowls of barley. This was exactly what my uncle's dinner was like. He ate one or half a chapati only. Anyhow, after iftar he prayed maghrib, and after maghrib he prayed, prayed voluntary salah, which was extremely long, a habit he had acquired from childhood. In the month of Ramadan, his voluntary salah finished shortly before the adhan of Isha. Once he finished the voluntary salah, he lay down for a while and then the helpers massaged him. After he rested for half an hour, it was time for Isha. He led Tarawih himself and laid down immediately after. There was no gathering or discussion of any kind at this time. He said many times, after saying the salam of Witr, I fall asleep before my head touches the pillow. I have a ravenous appetite, so when I came to meet him in the blessed month, I had to have my iftar immediately after Tarawih. There had to be pulkia in the iftar and if some friends brought any fruits or anything else, we ate this at that time. In that time, my uncle sat with us for a little while, but I insisted that he leave for his comfort. Despite that, he still sat for 15 to 20 minutes. It was routine for him to wake up at midnight. By the time he attended to his personal needs and performed ablution, the helpers boiled two eggs and gave them to him once he came out. When he ate them, he stood for tahajjud and continued praying until shortly before sahar at which time he would partake of sahar. It was typical of my uncle and I have seen it numerous times. With a morsel of food in his right hand, he would tell one of the helpers to bring him water and the other to go and call the adhan. He would finish the morsel and the glass of water a second before the caller started the adhan. And I may have written the wild fig story numerous times, which is that one of our relatives was an imam in Delhi. He thought that since Sheikh Ilyas was the Sheikh of Delhi, he must get a lot of good food sent to him during the month of Ramadan. He came to Sheikh to, to spend the night at his place. At iftar time, Hadrat asked, Is there anything to eat? The people said, Only the wild figs from last night, Hadrat. He replied, Great, great, bring them in. The wild figs came and the iftar and dinner after Maghrib. Hadrat asked in Sahar, Is there anything? The people said, only the wild figs from last time. Hadr took four or five wild figs and that was his sahar. And the whole story is mentioned in Abiti and his gratitude at receiving that as well. After the Adhan of Fajr, he prayed Fajr in its earliest time. He never delivered any talk after Fajr in Ramadan. 
That began in Malvi Yusuf's time. After Salah, he sat on his prayer rug until after sunrise and read his awrad. The helpers prayed their Salah, then rested, and they woke up at their own times. Hadrat sat until after sunrise and only left after praying his post-sunrise Salat al-Ishraq. After that, he felt tired and had time, and if he had time, he rested a little while. Otherwise, he gave a talk to the people of Miwat and spent time with the guests who came to meet him, and guests came in constantly, and Hadrat often left his routine to sit with them. Hadrat was extremely precautious about the descendants of the Blessed Prophet He was very respectful of them, overlooking the mistakes of his students or murids if they were from the family of the Blessed Prophet and he stressed this upon me also. Once I complained about the Hadrat, one of Hadrat's students, who was also his murid and helper. He said, I know about him, but he is from the family. He said the word Sayyid, the person of lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, with such reverence that I myself became overwhelmed and stayed quiet. Sheikh Ali Miya in his biography, Sheikh Ilyas and his work of Deen, writes that Sheikh Mu'inullah narrates, I was sick one Ramadan. One time the boy who brought food for me passed by Hadrat as he was about to start his voluntary Salah. Hadrat said, put the food down, I will take it. The boy didn't understand and took up the food to the room. After Salah, Hadrat came up and said, I told the boy I would bring the food up, but he still took it himself. He then sat by me, talked with me and raised my spirits. Much of this has to do with the fact that Sheikh Mu'inullah was a Sayyid. Hadrat also slept in the afternoon for one or two hours. After Dhuhr, Hadrat came to his room and met with guests until Asr. If any student had a lesson with him in Ramadan, it would be during this time. After Asr until Maghrib, Hadrat did dhikr loudly. In the other months, Hadrat did his dhikr from Tahajjud until the time of Fajr, which was prayed shortly before sunrise. I saw that amongst my elders, none was more constant on doing dhikr loudly than my uncle. Some years before his sickness, he did his twelfth tasbihat and the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last part of the night, in other months, and from Asr to Maghrib in Ramadan without fail. My uncle departed for his third hajj in the first days of Ramadan. Ali Mia writes in the biography, He went for Hajj the third time in 1933. The moon was sighted in Nizamuddin. Hadrat prayed his first Taraweeh in Delhi railway station and boarded the train to Karachi after Taraweeh. I was also there to see my uncle off. After stowing his luggage on the train, my uncle led the Taraweeh in the station. In addition to those who came to see Hadrat off, many of the locals from Delhi also stood behind Hadrat in Taraweeh. Some people prayed Taraweeh in their masjid, then joined Hadrat's and Taraweeh started early in the masjid, while Hadrat started late because he was busy putting his luggage on the train. He started with Surat al-Baqarah and recited calmly as if he was leading in his own masjid. The train was late because of which the departure time was delayed for an hour and 15 minutes. My uncle always raised the subject of the tabligh, much like Sheikh Yusuf. Even now, thousands of people are witness to this. It was his habit regardless of what he was doing, whether he was eating, drinking or wherever he was on the train or on the railway station. He was always talking about Tablighah.